0: Or start the recording and let us begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come today with grateful hearts for the gifts and the graces you give to us. We thank you for all the ways which you have sought to reach out to provide for us, to protect us, to lead us to yourself. We thank you for the gift of the angels as we come to reflect upon their life and their role in our own lives tonight in this time. We ask that you would draw us close to yourself and close to the heart of your son through their intercession. We ask especially that you would help us to understand their significance for us and that we might be able daily to appreciate their presence with us though invisible, that they are indeed here in our midst. We ask this through the intercession of our Blessed Mother, Mary, Queen of the Angels, as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I mentioned that this talk may not exactly be worth hearing a second time or even a first a moment ago because in all honesty, this is probably one of the talks that I would be least able to give on the fly. Uh, this is in the entirety of, of, our, of my six years of seminary. Um, the only time we ever talked about the angels uh, was if it came up in scripture class. We never had a class on the angels. We never had uh, a class on anything else, you know, describing them. It was never in our textbooks. Uh, so I can give you the entire wisdom that I've shared uh, in, about everything I learned about the angels in class at the seminary in one sentence they exist, period. Everything else is things that I've discovered um, just from personal reading personal reflection and various other uh, ways and contacts. Uh, also in connection with that, I'd, obviously the angels are kind of a very speculative topic. Uh, they didn't come and present us a manual for themselves. Uh, so a lot of what we have about the understanding of the angels Uh, comes from Scripture, our understanding of Scripture, but a lot of it was kind of fleshed out by theologians over the course of the years, trying to understand their role and and their importance in our lives for us as Christians. Uh, So that said, I don't have any books here on the angels like I normally do. Normally I come with a big stack of books. Uh, But again, it shows you uh, that this is not my strong suit. But I felt like it was providential because Um, that this this talk was kind of given on this day because my calendar was running short on days to present uh, in the month of October. So I was trying to find a night that would work broadly with the parish calendar and my own, uh, and then it happened to fall tonight. Uh, Tomorrow is the Feast of the Guardian Angels. This past Saturday was the Feast of the Archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. So I figured probably I should talk about angels. Uh, And so that's why we're kind of presenting on that tonight. There are several resources, uh, two specifically, that I would encourage uh, looking into further. There's one called Angels and Demons by Dr. Peter Kreft. Kreft is K-R-E-E-F-T. Uh, and so uh, he's got uh, a book that probably answers some more questions than I would be able to tonight. But the majority of, of what I'll be presenting here comes from lectures from Father John Harden. Uh, his, the website that has a whole series, a whole variety of massive amounts of really beautiful uh, reflections on all kinds of Catholic topics under the sun. Uh, he was a wonderful, wonderful teacher and preacher of the faith. Uh, I think it's therealpresence.com. Maybe it's .net or .org, but it's The Real Presence, Father John Hardin, uh, who's got uh, a whole variety of... Um, Teachings uh, and conferences that he gave. So a lot of that is kind of tied in here. Now, one of the things that's important for us to recognize is that the angels are integral to our lives as Christians. St. Francis de Sales said simply, Make yourself familiar with the angels, and behold them frequently in spirit. For without being seen, they are present to you. It's an important thing for us to recognize that, again, that angels do exist. It's not like a, a nice literary, you know, some biblical scholars in the last hundred years apparently lost their faith uh, that, that what was actually composed in Scripture was divinely inspired in many ways. Uh, and so there were many, many people who relied solely on historical, verifiable, if I can't see it, touch it, smell it, taste it, or hear it, it's not real. Which is foolishness when you're talking about the invisible God, right? Uh, and so a, a, lot of, a lot of biblical scholars in, in the, the, the early, middle, and sometimes late parts of the 20th century talked about angels as, quote, literary constructs. There were stories in, a, in, the, in the, the fabric of the Bible that just they, – they, we needed something to help us tell the real story, so we just kind of made up this angel thing. This this was their approach. It's it's not that angels actually exist, but it's just kind of a you you had to have it for the story. It was all just for the sake of the story. The angels are really inconsequential. You could take them or leave them as far as they're concerned, being literary constructs. But the simple reality is if you accept that angels are literary constructs that don't exist, then there are no fallen angels. And if there's no fallen angels, there's no leader of the fallen angels. And if there's no leader of the fallen angels, the devil, what are we doing? (laughs) What have we been saved from? Who is it that tempts us? Who is it that that comes and and seeks to to sow division and to, and to, to wage wars, you know, one against the other? And so really, angels are not something that are kind of... Non-essential to the Christian message, they are right there. They are, you know, the the the, the core. They're at the core of everything that we believe as Christians. They were there from the beginning. As we said, they're with us at every single moment, and in ways that we don't understand, they have impact upon us, which we, none of us will understand <laughs> until we get, God willing to the place where they are, as they behold the face of God. And so they are incredibly important for us. They are, indeed, essential to our lives as Christians. And as such, we see that in the Scriptures, they are everywhere. St. Gregory the Great, one of the great saints of the Church, the great Holy Father, pointed out the fact that on nearly every page of the Scriptures you see the angels. Page after page after page. We see them at the Garden of Eden right at the beginning. We see them in major persons all throughout the scriptures as the angels come to interact, to be able to provide food, to provide guidance, to provide protection. With Israel, or Jacob, they got into a wrestling match even, and the angel struck him on the hip. And as it says, and that's why the priests always get the hip bone of the, the offerings at the temple. Kind of weird thing, but... It's the reality, you know, that the angels were, were interacting with the leaders of Israel and with all of the people day after day after day. As if it was just something in the, in the Old Testament that they occasionally came. We recognize also that, that Tobit, uh, in the book of Tobit, uh, the angel Raphael came and walked with him. It wasn't just kind of a momentary thing. It was something that was continuous. He was his guide on the journey. And here as we as we embrace all of these things we begin to understand exactly what the angels are rather who they are and understand what is their importance in our own lives. It would be easy for some to say, well that's just something that in the, in the Old Testament there were angels. You know the you know sometimes we have this idea that that in the New Testament everything changes. You know, God in the Old Testament was mean and angry and just ready to, you know, hack off everybody, you know. But in the New Testament, Jesus is kind and he's merciful and he's pleasant and he's meek, right? And they try to treat it as if something happened and, and God himself changed. And along with him, all kinds of other things. And this is foolishness. All, all that is is basically someone who doesn't understand how to read the Bible and understand it in its truth, in its richness, in its fullness. And so, you know, some may say that, oh, well, the, the angels, again, were kind of just like an Old Testament thing. But, you know, but we look in the New Testament and... Right off the bat, okay. angels, 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 angels. They're there with Mary. They're there with the Magi. They're there with the shepherds. They're there with Joseph. They're there at the, at the nativity of our Lord. There's a whole host of angels that says, seeing glory to God in the highest on, on earth, peace to men of goodwill. Over and over and again, we see them, and not just at the infancy, at the birth of Christ. We see them at the, at the, the temptation as the angels ministered to the Lord. They cared for him in the midst of his fasting and temptation in the, in the desert. We see also in the Acts of the Apostles a number of references to the angels. The angels were such a common thing. It was, such a, it, was, it was a given that angels existed. That St. Paul names groups of them, which we'll talk about in a little bit. He names groups of them as if it was just common knowledge. Also, they were so convinced that angels were real. That in the Acts of the Apostles, at one point when Peter was in prison... He was released, miraculously, by an angel, <laughs> right? So he, he, gets, he gets out of prison, and he goes to the brethren. He goes to the rest of the Christian community. And the scriptures actually recount in the Acts of the Apostles, that says, they thought it was his angel. They figured Peter's in jail, <laughs> but this, this must be Peter's angel who has, who has come like in, in a bodily form to resemble him to come to speak to us. So convicted were they that angels were real. They had no problem believing that we know Peter's in prison. <laughs> but maybe his angel has come to be with us. His guardian angel has come to direct us in some way. To give us wisdom. To give us encouragement. Whatever the case may be. Of course they were rather soon surprised to find it wasn't Peter's angel. It was in fact Peter himself. But still it doesn't take away the fact that there was an understanding that Angels are real. They are with us. And so that's a necessary starting point that that we have to have is this mindfulness that all through the scriptures, in countless ways, we see these angels, these spiritual beings, interacting with individuals at various points. Oftentimes in the scriptures we get the highlights because who wants to talk about? ordinary, mundane things. I mean, if you're going to write something, <laughs> uh, you want it to be the, the, the highlights. I mean, we, we, we don't have any stories about when Jesus maybe got a cold or something. You know, it's, it's not a thing that we write about. We write about miracles and healings and teachings and preachings and so forth. And so we have these realities that, that the angels come and speak to the people of God. Beautifully, we also are reminded every single mass that the angels are with us. In the first Eucharistic prayer that I use on Sundays, the, uh, the longer one. Um, it speaks of, there's a, there's a point at which the priest, after the consecration, the priest bows down and continues the prayer. And in that prayer, if you're listening, it says, Be pleased that, that, that your angel may come and take these offerings and bring them to your altar in heaven. It's praying that, that the offerings we have will be taken by his angels and lifted up into heavenly glory. We're praying that the angels will come and do something. Also, every single Mass, whenever we sing whenever we sing or say the Holy, 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 we join with all the angels and saints as we sing Holy, Holy, Holy. We join with them in every single Mass when we offer those prayers. So too, we also imitate them. On the feasts of the church and, and Sundays that are not penitential Sundays when we offer the Gloria, we join with the angels as they pray, glory to God in the highest. We Im- imitate their words. We imitate their hymn of praise that they offer to God the Father. There's a whole variety of ways in which we hear about the angels in the Holy Mass, specifically in those, those moments where heaven and earth meet. I mean, that's what the Eucharistic prayer is. It's the place where heaven and earth Become one, Where we enter into heavenly life in a way that we can't see or understand, just as the way that angels are with us in a way that we can't see or understand, is to know that it is, in fact, taking place. As part of our seminary formation, one of the things that we were asked to do uh, is we were required to go to uh, a mass, a liturgy, there was something other than our normal experience at mass. So I, as an English-speaking South Louisiana boy, was invited to go to a Spanish mass or a French mass, which actually kind of would work in South Louisiana. But that's a different story. You know, so we were invited to, to go to experience different kinds of liturgies in the church at different parishes. And in New Orleans, there are 200-something parishes around the, around the Archdiocese, so it was relatively easy to find a place that did something different. One of those I was intrigued was a, ben, um, a Byzantine, Byzantine community. Uh, there's a, a community that's Ruthenian. Uh, it's Catholic, but it's Eastern Orthodox uh, that's down the street from us, and I was able to go and assist as a deacon— uh, in their, in their divine worship, uh, which was very, very different. Uh, also had other experience, um, kind of a a similar thing, uh, a Byzantine, another former, you know, another Eastern rite of the church where they do lots of other visible things that are the, the structure of the mass is the same, but it's, it's kind of different. One of the things that, that I saw there that absolutely fascinated me. And I was like, I want to steal that (laughs) and bring that into our church. Um, is in the midst of the mass, the, the priest is is there at the altar with the offerings, the you know the the blood and the uh, the blood and the body of our Lord, and he has uh, at the at the mass where there extra ministers. Usually they have, usually they only have one mass on Sundays, one liturgy, so all the ministers are there, uh, and so they had extra deacons who are around the altar with him, and at the point of one of the one of the points of prayer, invoking the Holy Spirit. And the, the, the power of the angels to intercede for us in the midst of the worship. Uh, the deacons took up two little things that looked like fans. And they began to wave them in circles. Each of them on, on, on two sides to wave them in circles over the gifts. Waving them back and forth, back and forth. And the visible reality was that it was, it was a, a sign to those at the altar that the angels wings were beating all around them that the angels were present there. And it was like, I just stood there just in, in awe. Like, man, that is incredible. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, it could be, it could be, you know, it's just a little fan. You know, it's, it's nothing, you know, nothing, you know, in, incredible. But, but the reality of what it was speaking is, is the angels are with us. And we like to embody them with their wings, right? But the angels are here with us. We can't see them. We can't hear them. We can't touch them. We can't, you know, any of these things that we would like to do. But they are there with us in the midst of the Holy Mass. And so those are just simple things that, that kind of call into mind the reality that all throughout the history of the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, it's woven into the fabric of who we are and what we do. We may not always think about it. It may not be the, the, the first thing that pops into our mind, but there's this underwhelming, you know, under, I guess, whatever, current, you know, undercurrent of the belief in the spiritual, the need for there to be other creatures than just us. So, getting a bit into the angels specifically, what are the angels? The Greek word, angulos means messenger or, or one who is sent. And so when we refer to angels, angel is not their essence. Like I'm a human being. You are human beings. An angel is not its nature. An angel is its mission. Angels are first and foremost just simply spiritual beings, pure spirits. We are spiritual beings who are also spirit and body. So God is pure spirit itself. And so these, these, what we know as the angels, we know it by their office, by what they do, by who they are in connection between God and us. That's their message, their messengers, right? And so what they are is simply spiritual beings. Each of them individual, just as each one of us is an individual being. Each of us have Our own mind, our own body, our own personality. So also with the angels, and all of these things except the except the body. Rather, angels have a mind. They have a will. They have the ability to love. um, They have the things that we have, minus flesh and blood. And so, that necessarily changes a lot of ways. (laughs) That they can do things that we would only dream about doing. (laughs) But it's just part of their nature. It's who they are. And so it's important for us to recognize that angels are, first and foremost, spiritual beings. What they do is they angel things. <laughs> They're messengers. They're ones who are sent from God to us to be able to communicate. Father John Hardin had a, <laughs> what I thought was a great, a great little saying... He says they're individual beings, they're individual persons. We can refer to the angels as persons, not human persons, but persons nonetheless. Just as we speak of God has three persons and one Godhead, right? And so he referred to them as persons. He says they have no body, but they are not nobodies. (laughs) I thought that was catchy. (laughs) They have no body, but they are not nobodies. They are people, they are persons. Uh, They are spiritual beings just like us. Who have been created by God. Loved into existence. And whom God desires. To have with him forever. But the catch is. Just as with us. They had a choice. Whenever they were created. At some point, And here's where all things kind of. They get into discussions about. Were they created in heaven first. Or were they created. Uh, with the possibility of heaven first. And. Were they created before time or when time existed or whether did time begin to exist when the angels were created? There's all kinds of really fun and fascinating and kind of confusing questions that we can ask about the creation of the angels and when and how and what manner and all this kind of thing. But the simple fact is that the angels were created in the beginning and they were given the ability to choose. They were given free will, as every one of us has, and they were able to choose to serve or not to serve worship God and to be messengers to humanity or not. Those who remained, those who said yes, we refer to broadly as the angels, the holy angels. Those who refused to serve are what we refer to as the devil and demons, the fallen angels. This comes from the imagery of I believe from the book of Revelation where it says that uh, that St. Michael was there and they saw a third of the angels fall from heaven. A, th- a third of the stars fell from the heavens. A visual, kind of a symbolic imagery of the angels that have fallen from grace, that have fallen out of the grace of God. that don't have heaven at this point. So, it's a theoretical number. It's kind of a, a nice visual, but... Uh, If you want to be real specific, basically it looks like it's a a two to one ratio, good versus evil. We don't know what the numbers are. Again, we can speculate till the cows come home. Uh, But the simple fact is, in this life and in this reality wherein all things exist, we have the angels who desire to do good, who desire to worship the Lord and to lead us into that worship. And you have the demons and the devil who do everything they can possible to prevent the worship of God, especially in us. Demons and devils are not permitted to change. There's no repentance. There's no point at which the devil can go and sit down with a priest and go, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been since eternity, since, uh, since <laughs> confession, right? Uh, here's my sins, you know. That's not a it's not something that that the devil and and his demons can do. That may make us feel bad for them. Kind of, but not really. (laughs) You know. They had their choice. The reality is that that we have the grace of repentance. Theologians discuss it as the, the simple fact is that we as human beings, we have to have experience to learn and grow. And it's by our experience that we come to understand things in a very gradual manner. The angels, when they were created, they have no bodies, they have no ears, they have no eyes, they have no, you know, they don't have a, a physical brain. So they don't, they don't, you know, sit down at angel school when they're little tykes and, and start learning, right? It, it, there's no, you know, progression in the knowledge of angels. They're created, and in the moment of their creation everything is made known to them they have all knowledge everything that god desires to give to that angel is given at the moment of its creation and with all of that knowledge it is asked to choose serve or not with us thankfully the lord doesn't <laughs> he doesn't make us choose once and only once although sometimes i like to I like to bet on that I would choose for the good and then be okay for the rest. But you never know, you know. And so the angels, there's no repentance. Once it's done, it's done. And so we have this world in which we live that is characterized by a God who is the creator of all things that exist. By these spiritual beings, these spiritual persons, if you will. Who have one of two roles, either to glorify God or to seek to steal the glory from God. And then you have the human race, who are placed in this life as a sort of trial by fire, and wherein which we prove our love to the Lord. In a very real way, the battle between heaven and, and hell happens not on a physical terrain, it happens in the soul of every human person. We see it characterized in cartoons as shoulder angels and shoulder devils. You know, we love to depict them as such, and it's really cute and it's funny. And there are some great, you know, great little clips of movies where the uh, where the angels and devils are kind of fighting back and forth with each other on the shoulders of these humans. But in 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 reality, that's is essentially what's taking place: is that the angels try to lead us to God, and the devils do everything they can. To pull us away. And so this is uh, the the reality of where we find ourselves um, with the angels, both good and bad, in the world today. Traditionally, the angels are referred to as the choirs of angels. Uh, Whenever we hear hear that, I mean, I myself have often used the term, you know, it sounds like the angels, you know. Uh, for anyone who's, who's going on the, the trip with us to EWT and um in a few weeks, that's one of the places where, uh, in, in my head, when I think of it sounds like the angels, that's the place I think of. Uh, <laughs> and the reasoning is because the sisters are behind a wall, so you can't see them. <laughs> so they're just like angels in the fact that you can't see them. But then there's just beautiful, beautiful noise that just echoes throughout the building. It doesn't come from a specific place. It just kind of is and you're just like huh? that's nice when we think about the choirs of angels though we may think about music and like a choir the reality is that the choir of angels is speaking not just not To the uh, fact that, like, angels have vocal cords, (laughs) you know, it's not that it's not that they literally sing. What we refer to when we speak of the choirs of angels is that there is in a choir, ideally, (laughs) there's harmony, right? There are different parts, you know. There's bass and there's alto and there's soprano and there's tenor and right, and they have each person kind of does their part. And when you put each of the parts together, it becomes wonderful harmony. Nobody competing. It's not like the Sopranos are upset because the bass get that note and they don't get to sing that note, right? They each have their place. They each have their role. And coming all together, individually, it sounds nice, but coming all together is this profound harmony that that makes you really just stop and go, that is beautiful. And when we say that is beautiful, what we mean is, that makes me think of godly things. Because, as St. Thomas Aquinas would describe the Lord, God is the good, the true, and the beautiful. He is goodness itself, he is truth, and he is beauty. And when you say, that's beautiful, it's us saying, that makes me think of God. It makes me desire God. When we talk about the choirs of angels, they are a community of angels. They are individuals in nine different ranks who come together. And in their praise and in their worship and in their their ministry, they become this beautiful harmony, which every human heart longs to be part of. That's so why we describe things as it's like listening to the angels. <laughs> it's like a choir of angels. The profound harmony, all coming together. No one fighting against, you know, the, it's not as if these angels are upset that they, you know, these angels have this mission and they have that mission or anything else otherwise. Each of them rejoicing in their place. And they come together and make a beautiful harmony in the presence of God this is what we understand as the nine choirs. Traditionally, they come from various places in the scriptures. Just as with other things, other, you know, the the gifts of the holy spirit and such, there's no place in scripture where it says these are the nine choirs of angels. Number 1, right? It it would be nice. It would be like, you know, it'd be great if it said number 1, here's this group, here's what they do, here's their role. But unfortunately, God did not provide us uh, a nice, clean-cut catechism handbook. He gave us a living book of scriptures wherein individuals write about things which God places on their hearts. And so all of the angels, the, 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 the nine choirs, the nine ranks of angels are indeed listed in the scriptures. But they're not all listed sequentially, one through nine. And so... We understand them as nine, listed in separate places, uh, the seraphim and the cherubim, named explicitly in the Old Testament. The thrones, dominations, or dominions, the virtues, and the powers are listed by St. Paul in his letters. And the, uh, rather, the thrones are listed, uh, dominions, virtues, powers, and principalities are in the letters of St. Paul. And then we have the archangels that we know the only ones whom we know by name, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael, of all of the nine choirs. And then we have just the angels themselves, the kind of general messengers, which you would typically understand or would name kind of as a subcategory guardian angels. And so these are the nine choirs that we see. St. Thomas Aquinas would divide them into three subgroups. Level one being the highest of the angels uh, are those whose mission and purpose is to see and adore God directly. Now as you go from the top to the bottom, basically the understanding would be that that the, the higher one is, the greater one's knowledge and participation in the life of God would be. Uh, this is kind of hard for us to wrap our heads around, um, but it's just one of those things that that at least on paper, it makes sense. Um, and so their participation in the life of God is kind of different depending upon their rank and their role. Uh, so all of the, the higher ranks are able and, and do participate in the abilities of the lower ranks. So it's, it's kind of in the same way that in the life of the church, in the hierarchy of the church, we have deacons, priests, and bishops, that a deacon can do certain things, that a priest can do Everything a deacon can do and a couple more things. And a bishop can do everything a priest can do and one more thing. Namely, ordain more priests. And so it's kind of like that. that Each of the lower roles are kind of taken up into the levels of the higher. So the seraphim would be the highest ranking of the nine. And then cherubim, then thrones, then dominions and virtues, powers, principalities, archangels, and angels. So that's our list. Level one. See and adore God directly are the seraphim, cherubim, and the thrones. The seraphim are ones that we see a little bit about, and there's a little bit of description in the uh, description of them in the holy scriptures. Seraphim uh, is kind of a—it's uh, the, the plural form of of what literally means burning one. So the seraphim means the burning ones, the ones who are on fire. Uh, we see them in Scripture as having uh, six wings, uh, which is you know you'll sometimes see uh, in depictions in churches. I think um, I think Sacred Heart in Baton Rouge has two of the seraphim at the entrance of the sanctuary on the walls, where you see their you know the, that they have wings over their face, wings at their side, and wings at their feet, uh, and so it kind of shows I guess the. The the height of which um, they come to adore the Lord. They are the burning ones, which is interesting because the place where they are used in sacred scripture is to cleanse Isaiah's lips. You may remember Isaiah, the prophet, was the one who pronounced that he was not prepared to be able to enter into his ministry as a prophet. And yet the Lord sent an angel with a burning coal and placed it upon his lips. To purify him of his sin, so the burning one comes and purifies Isaiah's lips by burning coal, so that he might be able to go forth and to proclaim the message of God. They are indeed the highest of the nine choirs, as we said, and they are the ones whose role is, first and foremost, primarily and essentially, adoration of God. Now, this is the highest of things as a way of reminding us who are not angels that adoration is the highest thing that any of us can do, Uh, that praise of God is is the greatest thing that any creature can do. And that's what the seraphim especially teach us in our life today, is the primacy of adoration. The cherubim follow after them, The cherubim are uh, essentially like guardians, it seems, in the sacred scriptures. The cherubim come in two specific places. They are the ones who, whenever Adam and Eve are cast out of paradise, and they're cast out of the Garden of Eden, the angels uh, come and guard that Adam and Eve might not return and enter into the paradise once again. And the angels that are placed there as the guards are the cherubim. So they are the protectors of paradise. Also, in the prophet Ezekiel, the Ark of the Covenant, which was the dwelling place of God, sort of a paradise on earth, uh, was also guarded, uh, according to Ezekiel, by the cherubim. Uh, So it seems that the cherubim, at least in their interactions with us, have a, a great role as guardians of holy things, guardians of the places, the dwellings of God himself. The thrones are where we start to get into our guesswork. (laughs) Because the thrones, the dominions or dominations, virtues, powers, and principalities are all the ones that we hear named explicitly in the scriptures, but which are not given any specific um, role or place. We don't hear a point at which the principalities did this. Or the powers did this, or the dominions did this. Unlike the cherubim and seraphim, we don't have that 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 you know kind of elaboration of exactly what their ministry among us was. But in the life of the church, they have kind of developed some understandings, at least by inference, um, as to what specifically their roles may have been. The thrones come in that third level, that 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 bottom rank of the first level. Uh, of the angels. And it seems, uh, according to St. Thomas, that their, their, their purpose is to adore God in his power and in his judgments. And so we have the first of the angels, the seraphim, which worship God, adoration pure and simple. The cherubim come, they are guardians of God and honor his providence, honor the, the ways in which he provides, and protect the ways which he provides mm-hmm. for us the thrones come to be able to adore the Lord in the ways in which he exercises his power or might and his judgments in the world. Then we get to the second tier, the level two angels, which are basically numbers four, five, and six, if you're keeping rankings. Level two, these are the ones who come to fulfill God's plan for the universe. We we take this primarily from the writings of St. Paul when he begins to talk about What we battle against in this earthly life and the things of the world around us. Uh, One writer that I was reading about referred to them as a a sort of middle management team. Uh, That they are the ones, the, the dominions or dominations, are the ones who kind of take care of the angels of the lower ranks to make sure everything runs smoothly. The virtues are the ones who keep everything running in the universe all around us, all things that are created and the powers are the ones who fight directly against evil influences uh, in the life of the world that may contradict God's plan. So presumably um, natural disasters are these kinds of things where it's, it's not a person who's doing something, but it's things in the, in, the, in, in the universe that may be contradicting God's plan in some particular way. And so these are the, the, the dominions, the virtues, and the powers basically take, of, take care of, the physical world around us. They take care of creation. And then the bottom level, level three, are the ones who take care of us. God bless them, huh? They are the principalities, the archangels, and the angels. The principalities are those typically that we understand would be the ones who care for uh, groups. They, care, they would be the ones who take care of or keep watch over um, cities. Nations, kingdoms, groups of individuals having, you know, their, you know, there's an understanding that, that, um, that a nation or a people would have their own angel to watch over them, to take care of them as a collective group, not just individuals, but as a collective group. So this is what we would understand as the principality's role is to watch over large groups of people the archangel's role is that of carrying God's most important messages to us. We know them as Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. Uh, they're the only ones that are named, although there may, there may be others uh, that are just unknown by name. Um, again, we don't know. Uh, and then lastly, are just the ordinary angels, uh, often known as the guardian angels. Uh, and so they are the ones who are given to each of us Every human person uh, to be able to help us essentially to get to heaven. Uh, Now, if we take that understanding and we take that, that each of the higher ranks can do the things of the lower ranks, we recognize that there could be seraphim and cherubim or thrones or dominions or virtues or powers that watch over particular nations or they may convey a certain message or they may even be guardian angels. All of that is speculation. It'd be pretty cool to think that my guardian angel was a seraphim, was the highest of, highest of the angels, and adores God primarily as his own vocation. But who knows? <laughs> uh, again, whenever we get into those kind of specifics, that's where you come up against that wonderful and profound mystery of God, where in all of our wisdom and all of our knowledge and all of our contemplation and everything otherwise, we simply have to shrug our shoulders. And wait and see. Uh, looking forward to the day where, uh, God willing, again, we make it to the glory of heavenly life and have that opportunity to see God face to face and to be able to, to know and be known by our angels. So just kind of getting a bit into now the, the place of the angels in the spiritual life. Kind of backtracking a little bit. Angels, again, because they don 't have bodies, are able to do some pretty incredible things. Uh, angels are not um, they 're not confined to a physical space there's often the old theological joke of how many angels can you fit on the head of a pen? Uh, <laughs> you know many discussions could be held huh? um, but there's a, you know, there's this reality that the angels, because they are Spirits, because they are purely spirit, they are not physical in any way, shape, or form, uh, that they don't have a physical place. It's not like my angel is actually this localized spiritual being sitting on my shoulder, as much as that would be cool. He's not as if, actually, he, it's not even a he, it's an it. Angels have no ma- They're not male or female. They uh, they don't have wings, although we would like to like to think that they do. And we image them in, in our, our popular piety as such. Um, but they are these these spiritual beings who are able to be present wherever they put their mind to it. Literally. That an angel is present wherever it intends to act in a particular moment. So an angel is always beholding the face of God. That's what we here in, in Matthew, I think, chapter 18, if I remember right, where the Lord Jesus says, you know, don't, don't uh, lead any of these little ones to sin. Their angels are always beholding the face of God. That's where we get the, the idea, the understanding of a guardian angel is simultaneously beholding God, but also in some way with us. Uh, and so as they worship the Lord perfectly in their essence, they can quote kind of come to us, be with us in a moment of need. And then, just as quickly, they could be in Japan at a moment of need. And then they could be on Saturn. Just like that. Because Unlike us, they're not confined by bodies, by space, by the time constraints of well, I gotta get to Japan, so I gotta get in a car, gotta hop on a boat, gotta get on a plane, you gotta find some way to get there. An angel just simply is mindful of it and is there wherever it needs to be. That should be a great encouragement to us. Because it's not as if we pray to our angel. <laughs> And then they've got to get on a boat or they've got to get in the car, hope the traffic's not bad, you know, (laughs) that they are with us instantly. If we call upon them, and we've been given an angel for one single purpose. (laughs) Every one of us has a guardian angel that is given to us to help us to get to heaven. And we trust that they're doing their job, right? They're not sleeping. They don't get tired. They don't get, you know, groggy in the afternoons when they have a full meal, they're always ready to come to our aid as quickly as we need them. So it's a, a, an incredible thing to, to fathom, is that they are always there, and not just with us, but as often as, as reminded um, at least I've been reminded by individuals, that we can ask our guardian angel to be with others as well in their particular moments of need, to be able to ask our angel. Go help them. I'm good for now. Go help them. Right. Be with them. Someone we know that may be experiencing great difficulty. Maybe someone has a heavy cross. Maybe someone's experiencing some, some, some great suffering. Maybe they're, they're having a, whatever, whatever great child. Maybe there's temptation. It could be a moment of conversion. It could be you know one way or the other. Anything might tip the scale to be able to pray. Guardian angel. Protect them. Be with them, enlighten them, guide them. right? So we can ask our angels to intercede also for others. And in helping us, uh, they help them in the same. So I kind of I backtracked and then I jumped ahead. So I forget the fact. I, I didn't actually state the fact that every one of us has a guardian angel um, before I stated the fact of it. Uh, so tradition tells us that, that every single person who is born has. Every single person who exists doesn't. It's not as if being born gets you an angel. You're created, and you have an angel. The child in the womb has a guardian angel. Everyone, and so every person has an angel whose mission in all eternity is to get that person to heaven. Whether there are a set number of angels, where the Lord, in His infinite wisdom, knew that there would never be more than. 10 billion people on the earth and he created 10 billion angels and we just kind of swap out guardian angels you know someone passes away their angels freed up you know and they get reassigned you know re-enlisted to a new a new soul to God I mean really it could be that every one of us specifically has one individual angel and for all eternity that one angel's job was to get Brent Mayer into heaven and you know if he succeeds hurrah and if not you did the best you could, buddy, you know? I mean, like, just keep adoring me because, you know, we need it. Uh, Whether every single one, whether there are billions upon billions upon billions of angels or whether there's some, you know, kind of set number only to the number of humans that will ever exist at a specific time on earth, again, all of these things, we can have really long conversations over some good hot coffee, Um, but we don't know the answers. Uh, We can... We can, you know, guess upon all of these things, uh, but the end game, the end result of all of it, is to simply say that every person that exists, from the moment of their conception into the moment of their death, has an angel whose purpose is to watch over them and to lead them to heaven. Again, in pictures, whenever we see the guardian angels in pictures, usually we see the. The images of, of little children with the angel kind of guarding them, you know, leading them over the bridge, right? Um, and so that's essentially what the, the mission is. Um, is it's for them. <laughs> the bridge is this life. <laughs> and, and and them being with us is to get us to the other side. <laughs> you know, that's that's you know goal number two. Goal number one, glorify God. Goal number two. Save this person. Bring them to glorify God with me. I didn't really grow up. Uh, I didn't grow up Catholic. Um, you may know that I was I was baptized Catholic, uh, essentially raised Methodist until I was around eleven or twelve or so, and then um, then became Catholic at that point. And by that point, I was already kind of already had a hard heart uh, against against the Lord, uh, and so. A lot of things that, that children learn about the catechism, I never knew, I never learned. Uh, I picked up in catechism in junior high and had my first communion, uh, first confession and first communion in junior high. Uh, and so a lot of those things, those ordinary prayers that children learn, I never knew, such as the prayer of the angel of God. In fact, I didn't know it all through the seminary. It was in my probably second or third year as a priest, where it's was the Feast of the Guardian Angels, and I was preaching about the Guardian Angels. And I got up there, and I had, I had tried, I had practiced the prayer. I thought I had it down. And I was preaching, I was getting all excited, and I said, you know, it's, it's, it's that, that beautiful prayer that we learn as children. Angel of God, my guardian dear to... Uh, Y'all know the words. <laughs> and everyone looked at me like, does Father really not know that prayer? Huh. And so it was just like this confusion upon the, upon the entire congregation who was looking at me. And, and of course, I, my pride was decimated that day. I was like, you know, you can look like you know your stuff. But if you don't know the prayer that most like 7-year-olds know and when they learn catechism class as a priest like, you know, father, go home, study your catechism, study it, bring out break out your your children's prayer book, you know, page through that thing a little bit, father. Uh, everybody join in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those moments where you're like, and why are y'all not praying it with me, right? Uh, y'all do it when we pray the Our Father in the gospel at mass. Everyone starts Our Father our and Our in heaven, everybody goes, right? Uh, it's just me up there just Drowned and trying to put on some floaties somewhere and so I was convicted that day I said I I need to learn that prayer and so I, I went back to the rectory and, and you know found found a copy of it and, and I wrote it down and, and made sure to start praying it regularly because the simple reality was until that point I had I had prayed prayers to guardian angel um, I invoked my guardian angel I asked that my angel would indeed be be there to watch over me and, and to do what it does. Um, but I didn't know that simple prayer. And that simple prayer is actually a really profound theology of the angels. And that's the thing that, that I think we oftentimes can forget is the prayers of the church, they're not just they're not just words that make us feel nice or, or that that sound good or it rhymes, right? <laughs> It's not because it rhymes or that it's short and sweet and memorable. It's because the prayers of the church have a way of kind of consolidating and concentrating the greatness of our faith in a way that's easily remembered. So that in those difficult moments, we can take that little bitty thing and it becomes something much, much greater. The sign of the cross. Rather simple, but it's one of the most incredible things that we have. You know, the Our Father, the Hail Mary—very simple prayers, very basic prayers—and yet, whenever we pray them, I mean, literally, volumes upon volumes upon volumes have been written just on the Our Father. I mean, there are selections in in the the, the liturgy of the hours that that I, you know, I as a priest am obligated to pray. Where we go through <laughs> reflection on the Our Father, I think it's from St. Cyprian. It's like two weeks. Every day it's like two pages. And that's the, that's the Cliff Notes version. That's not even the, the full thing. So we've got all these prayers that, that have this immense amount of theology and wisdom packed into a very small place. And that's what we find with the prayer to the guardian angel, that simple childlike prayer where we ask the angel to watch over us, to light, to guard, to rule, and to guide that tells us everything the angels do. (laughs) If we want to know what the angels are and what their role is, most Catholics learned it as seven-year-olds. This entire talk comes down to that basic point, that they come to us and they give us light. They come and they enlighten our minds. This is the first and, and primary piece, you know, right? Christ... Christ is the light of the world. He's the one who comes to shed light. He's the one who comes to cast out the darkness. All throughout the scriptures, darkness is the place where evil reigns. Light is the place of God. One of the the consequences of sin that that we understand uh, is that what we call a darkening of the intellect. Prior to the fall of Adam and Eve, They had a greater knowledge, a greater understanding, a greater interaction with the things of God and the ways in which God worked, a greater ability to know things, to remember things. Would that we all had that, right? And so there's this reality that that by sin, our intellect was darkened. (laughs) They dimmed the lights. We can't know as clearly. We can't remember as well. We can't know as deeply as we once did as our parents did in faith. And so this is the first task of the angels, is to come and to pull us from sin, to enlighten our minds, to help us in this life to become something like we were at the beginning, something like being able to know God more clearly, to remember the things of God more easily, to know everything that we know in a way that brings us even closer to he who is the truth. And So this is what the angels do first and foremost is they come to enlighten our minds to make us who we were supposed to be from the beginning. They guard us. We recognize that as we said that there are angels who have fallen at this point. As we go through our days those who ...or against God... ...try to do everything in their power... ...to contradict the will of God. The angels in heaven... ...each have their ranks... ...worrying about heavenly things... ...and God himself... ...worrying about the universe... ...all of creation... ...and those lower ranks that worry specifically about us. The nine choirs also exist in hell. Those who fight against God personally... first and foremost those who continue to fight universal evil and those who seek, presumably, the greater number because they are the same as the the third choir, the third level, rather. Those demons who seek to attack us, who attack us personally by temptation, who attack us by accusation. Right, The devil is the great accuser. Um, And so they, they do all of these things to try to pull us away from Doing the will of God, of knowing what is true, of acknowledging the beautiful, of being in harmony like the choirs of angels are, to sow division among us, to to wage wars between individuals, between nations, right? (laughs) Again, we see nations are protected by angels. Also, nations are convicted by demons. It's a reality that we experience all around us. And so we come... And we ask the angels of God, the holy angels, to come and to protect us. We know that the evil ones are going to attack us, and we need help. We can't do it by ourselves. We're not created to be alone. And so we need the help of the angels to watch over us always, to guard us, to shield us, to protect us. Then we ask that they would rule us, not in the sense of being, you know, our gods, or, you know, having any having dominion over us or anything of this sort, but in the manner of ruling over us, of teaching us what is the will of God, because the angels know it perfectly. They know what God's will is, and they've chosen to do it. There's never a moment in which an angel will not do the will of God. Again, they chose once and for all. Always serve, never serve. And so... The angels know the will of God perfectly and desire to have us follow it in our imperfection. And so they come to try to teach us, to help us to understand, to lead us in the path of truth. Ultimately to understand things like virtue, holiness, the importance of the spiritual life. These things that become structures by which we grow in our ability to honor the lord to honor our god and lastly they guide us they're the angel that walks us over the bridge that shows us the path countless times i've heard individuals talk about i just felt like i was supposed to go this way right i felt like like something was was convicted me something compelled me something something pushed me to go this way rather than that way to do this rather than that and usually that's one of two things. Either that's an inspiration of the Holy Spirit where God, God himself convicts us. Or it's a conviction that comes from God through our angel. Trying to, to inspire us. To inspire us to do good. To inspire us in the right way. Again, to lead us into the path of heaven. So this is the place of the guardian angels in our life. And all of that should show us exactly why they're important for us. That without our guardian angels, if we just continually uh, were to give our guardian angels the you know the, the the shoe fly attitude, go on, go away, you know, then we remain in our darkness. We're unable to know God, we're unable to know God's will, we're unable to to to, to experience his grace, to be able to understand what his beauty will be conflicted perpetually in our hearts to have these things of Division of war, of hatred, of violence, of revenge, of all of these, these things that are not of holiness but come from the opposite side. If we refuse the help of our angel, we will not be protected nor will we be guided. Rather, the demons will simply allow us to walk on their way. The devil and his demons never rest except... When we ourselves have given up on the the angels of God, because then they know they don't even have to really try. The devil's already got us. <laughs> Just keep going. Right? The devil only rests when we give up on our angels in the Lord. And so, the importance of us calling regularly upon the life of the angels to be with us, be with us, and to protect us. And so, two things I would encourage every one of you in partly some of what we do already here, is to pray daily the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. Uh, we know that St. Michael is the one uh, depicted in the book of Revelation who fights against the dragon, which is the great serpent, which is the devil. Uh, and so we know that um, there's a leader in the battle to be able to, to lead souls into hell, Satan, and the one who has been given the the task of fighting against him is Michael. Uh, and so we pray, um, that's part of why we pray the prayer to St. Michael at the end of the daily Masses. or any Mass where there's not music. I typically add in the prayer to St. Michael because, let's be honest, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> it doesn't hurt to call upon the angels and ask the devil, or ask the, the, St. Ask Michael to, to cast the devil and his, and his demons into hell to keep them far away from us. I'd rather err on the side of caution of doing it a little bit too much. Uh, and so, uh, interestingly enough, during this month of October, Pope Francis just a couple of days ago asked the entire church to pray three prayers through the month of October. One is to pray the Holy Rosary each day. Uh, and so we've got um, the, the month of the Rosary, traditionally observed it, uh, throughout the life of the church anyway. But Pope Francis has especially encouraged Catholics to take it up To pray the Rosary daily, to pray the prayer to St. Michael daily, and to pray the Subtuum Presidium which is the most ancient prayer given to our Blessed Mother. Um, I think it's from like the second century. Uh, it's a beautiful hymn, uh, but I've never, heard, I've never heard anybody just pray it as a prayer. Um, but the Subtuum Presidium is a prayer to our Blessed Mother that he has also encouraged uh, those who know it or those who have access to it to be able to pray that as well. And so the simple fact that, that the Holy Father has asked the entire church to pray daily the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel that should make our ears kind of perk up a little bit and go, huh, that's interesting. Uh, and so it's an invitation for each of us to be able to do that. Uh, so it, it doesn't have to be a, um, you know, a, a once a day thing. Certainly, uh, I like to attach it to mass because the mass is the place where we get God's grace. It's where we meet God. It's where heaven and earth come to kiss Uh, It's where we encounter God in this fullness and experience and are able to receive all of the grace uh, of the sacrament of the Eucharist. And if there's one thing the devil loves to do, (laughs) it's distract us at mass. We all know that. If the devil can distract us at mass... Or make us be upset with somebody or, or, or be angry with someone as, as we're walking out. Something happens the wrong way. Somebody's in our way in the parking lot. Somebody's this way, that way. Anything that can, that can take us away from the peace that Christ gives us at Mass, the devil takes it as a victory. And so there's no better place for us to pray the prayer to St. Michael than at the end of Mass. St. <laughs> Michael, help us. Because we know right now. The devil would love to take what we have just received. Watch over us. And so we pray the prayer. I would also encourage you regularly to pray the prayer to the guardian angel, whether it's uh, the one that we know, uh, you know, the one that's uh, the traditional one for the angel of God prayer. Uh, but there are also a whole variety of other prayers that are out there um, to the one's guardian angel. Uh, Father John Harden has a couple of them. Um, those are the ones that I had found and, and, myself had prayed, um, because they, uh, they kind of, they take the, the standard light to guard to rule to guide and they expounded upon it a little bit more. That was kind of helpful for me in praying specifically for these things, uh, and those moments, but any prayer to your guardian angel, regardless of the theological complexity, uh, or wording of it, uh, it's a prayer that will be, uh, honored in the sight of God. Um, and and greatly encouraged um, as the angels come to be able to take uh, take care of us and to watch over us and lead us into heaven and so these are some of the things that certainly to um, invite every single one of us to allow us uh, as part of the spiritual life that the angels exist that they are important um, and they have one goal and one goal only uh, beyond adoration of God and namely that's that we can learn to adore him as well and so we look to them to see all these things we see in their persons that they are examples to imitate to worship God first and foremost to put ourselves at the service of others and of course in all things to seek to know God and to love him with all of our hearts Uh, and so as we uh, close I would certainly encourage us to uh, be mindful of those heavenly intercessors, those great um, ones who have no body but are not nobodies uh, to know that they are indeed with us and watching over us and so I invite you to join with me as we pray together that prayer to St. Michael, that indeed his powerful protection might come to us and to help us continue to draw closer to our God. St. Michael, the archangel defend us in battle Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits, who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so we're right... Just a couple minutes past the hour mark. So if anybody has had enough of me and wants to go home, you're welcome to. I don't blame you. Um, If anybody has any questions, I'll be happy to try to answer them. (laughs) Yeah, so there there are some who um, who want to know their angels' name so they can call on them by name. Steve, help me, right? <laughs> maybe maybe it would be Stephen. I don't know. Uh, Steve might be a little too informal for heaven. Um, yeah, so there there are some who uh, have encouraged individuals to try to 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 receive the name or to to name one's angel. Uh, One, I guess two points that are important to recognize. Um, One ought not to bestow a name upon an angel. Because the angels are higher beings than us. Uh, So first and foremost, to name something means you have rank over them. In the case of the angels, that don't count. (laughs) We are not higher than the angels. Uh, That's why in the scriptures and the psalms it refers to Christ who became lower than the angels, namely, person, a human, you know, and so that the, the we don't have the authority to bestow a name upon an angel. Second point is some would say, well, yeah, but you can certainly ask for your angel to reveal their name to you. And so you pray for your angel to come and, and you pray really hard, pray your prayer to the guardian angel, and your angel you know, may come to you and say, my name is Stephen. And then you would continue to call upon Stephen, "Stephen, come help me." There's only one problem with that. They're bad angels, too. <laughs> and if a bad angel, a demon comes and says, "My name is Stephen." <laughs> then you call upon demon Stephen to be able to come to be your assistant. Guide me, direct me, protect me. And you don't want the demons doing those things. Uh, those, are not, those are not healthy options. Um, and so the, the, I guess the, the, best, the best manner of approach is simply to say, guardian angel, my guardian dear. <laughs> right? uh, not to bestow a name and not to seek to, to know a name, uh, to have a name revealed, because again... We don't have the authority, and you don't want to take the chance Uh, that maybe one's discernment might actually be a little bit off. Uh, So yeah, that's an important, an important point. You have given me a beautiful picture that every child in the womb already has a daughter. watching over them, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful thought. Well, certainly. This one isn't so beautiful. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm wondering, the angels, when they were created, mm-hmm. were given the knowledge of all things. They are already in heaven with God. What could possibly have tempted them to leave that? I the same thing. <laughs> I got you know, the same <laughs> thought. Why would, yeah. I mean, the Why would they choose to leave? Yeah. Yeah. well it's uh, whether they were in heaven is debated among theologians um, theologians would agree that they were created with sanctifying grace the life of God in them uh, just like each of us have at baptism uh, at baptism sanctifying grace is given to the soul it's the life of God and the saving you know the saving grace that if you, if you keep in that track if you don't lose it Salvation is yours. Easy guarantee. So the angels, all of them, had sanctifying grace, saving grace to start with in the moment of their creation. They were given the knowledge and then basically told to choose one way or the other. Do you want the life of God or not? Do you want heaven or not? Um, Will you serve or not? It has been suggested by some that the angels who chose not to serve the Lord did so sometimes on account of envy, of wanting to be like God, which shouldn't be a surprise because that's what Adam and Eve fought with. They wanted to be like God, (laughs) and so they fell. So why not the angels too? Um, And so some have suggested that the angels fell because of that envy of wanting to be like God, wanting to be God, to have that authority not to serve that's, that's one of the, the great things that, that you know, Satan is said to have said non serviam because he spoke Latin apparently I will not serve you know? and it's, you know, it's recognition that the angels are servants of God and they didn't want to be or secondly is part of what God revealed was the whole story um, that, that humanity would be here that Christ would take on flesh, uh, that angels would be ministers of lower beings, um, that, we, that, that angels would be taking care of us. <laughs> That's their job. Uh, yeah, and they couldn't handle that. You know? And so the, the non-Servion, the I will not serve, was both to God and to us. As if to say, like, I'm not going to spend my existence serving those things. Those are below me, you know. And so it's, it's pride, really, uh, that kind of manifests itself. And so that's what, what traditionally has been understood, is that the fallen angels are, are fallen because they don't want to serve God because they think they're too great. <laughs> and they don't want to serve us because they think we're too little. So, yeah. Did you say that God gave them a will, just like we have a will, free will, mm-hmm. to choose? Yes. So that stands reason it's kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they have a will, they have a mind, they have, you know, knowledge. Um, their knowledge is not experiential like ours. It's not a, a growing and their will isn't isn't changing. Whereas ours can be kind of need, back and forth. They you need know. to get to Washington as soon as they can yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we pray to the angel of Washington D C, huh? That's absolutely right. <laughs> So. Well, I know I got go to go in. I was 80 years old, and Jacko cereal closed the gas tanks, and I said I'm not pumping gas. And I Went to the village, to the spillway Cafe one morning at six o'clock, and I said I need gas, and I don't pump it. <laughs> said, this big black man, wonderful man, and uh, Simon Land was there, and he told that man, he said. I don't know who was a guardian, a man, on stomach. <laughs> go pump this lady some place. And every, every, about one every other week, I go and I just stand in the door. <laughs> Somebody helps, huh? What? Angels do show up in bodily form throughout the scriptures, so it could be, could be that, you know, um, your, your fellow's just a gas-pumping angel, you know? I'll take it. You yeah. know? The Lord cares for all of our needs, whatever they may be. Absolutely. Well, I actually do this part to people who lose a child or maybe their grandma and they truly believe that that right. person mm-hmm. becomes an angel. Yeah. Yeah, what, it would – obviously you don't, you don't want to go about correcting people uh, and be like, well, actually, theologically speaking, da-da-da, you know. Um, you know, but it's it, 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 There is a reality which, you know A, a child that, that dies is tragic But they don't become an angel um, You know, angels don't get their wings Every time a bell rings or whatever the, the saying was uh, In the movie, right? So um, There's a reality in which, in which we, we say, well, you know They're, 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 they're people that's, that's who we are you know, it's, it's not like uh, when a dog passes It becomes a human uh, in heaven, you know, we don't become an upgrade to an angel, um, you know. But there's this this reality of of just acknowledging. I think the most important thing is just to acknowledge the loss, and I, I see that more as just a way of trying to understand and to grieve um, in the moment, rather than kind of a theological statement. And so, yeah, it's conflict for them too. yeah. Yeah, and you could just simply, you could kind of say, yeah, they're with the angels, you know, or, you know, something, you know, that's usually what I would, I would, you know, say, yeah, they're with the angels, you know, pray that they're, they're numbered among the saints now, you know, their their guardian angel might be with you now. (laughs) Yeah, 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 so, you know, again, these are all, they're all nice thoughts, but, uh, you know, our, our thoughts and our, our theology They're not always in sync, just as an angel is not a thing that has wings, uh, you know, not specifically. Um, And so, uh, again, it's kind of, uh, I think these are ways that we, as humans, just try to grapple with some of those mysteries. The mystery of of angels, partly, but also the mystery of death, the mystery of suffering, the mystery of of God, um, you know. It's good to be consoled. All right. right. Well, there's nothing else. Thank you all so much. Have a good night. Be safe.